And I'll just run through what we learned last week, just by way of reminder to juggle our memories a bit. The first thing we learned is that God, in his wisdom, leaves his children for certain seasons to be exposed to the corruption and sinfulness of their own hearts. That is, in simple terms, God wisely allows his own children, that is, Christians, believers, to fall into divers. The word that was used last week was manifold, which is different kinds and volume, voluminous and in different, in different kinds, different kinds, diverse kinds of temptations. And that there are two reasons why God does this, usually. The first is that God allows us, his children, to experience those things because he wants to chastise us. The first possibility is chastisement for our former sins. Or, secondly, to make us aware of the depth of our own sinfulness. So God chastises us, or he does this, allows us to fall into temptation and sin, to make us aware of our own sinfulness. And God does this to allow four things to happen to us. Number one, God wants us to be humbled. When he allows us to fall into sin, he wants us to be humbled. Secondly, he wants us to be more dependent upon him. And dependence as in practical dependence. There's no Christian who will say, I don't depend upon God. Every Christian will say, I depend upon you. But how we live our lives sometimes shows that for many of us, dependence is just here. It is not here. It is not practically. So there are some of us, even as Christians, who can go an entire day without speaking to God in prayer. Because after all, I know all the theology. I know what's going to, what's going to happen today after all. I'll go to the office. I'll open by 9 o'clock. I'll close by 5 o'clock. I enter along. I come back 6. So I drive my car. I get to meet dinner and sleep. So what is special in my day? So God allows us sometimes to fall into certain sins so that we see our own folly in depending upon our own strength to live the Christian life. Thirdly, God does this to make us more cautious. There are certain times we sleep on, we, we just live as though sin is, it cannot get to us. So we are not cautious. We don't set guards. We don't, we don't put, we don't lock we don't lock our doors, the doors to our eyes, the door to our ears, the doors to our heart. We watch anything, laugh at any kind of joke, expose ourselves to any manner of things, thinking that we are strong people. So God allows us fall. So remember, ah, is this small thing that made me fall? I will become more cautious. And lastly, God does this for other just and holy purposes. For example, sometimes it is the sin of somebody that will really bring the church to her senses. That brother Emeka fell into sin, perhaps, will make the remaining brothers in church rise up and say, ah, if brother Emeka can fall, after reading Calvin and Beckhoff and everything, who am I? So God does these things for various purposes. And the final note on which we ended last week was that everything that happens to the elect happens by God's appointments for God's glory and for their good. Everything. Romans 8.28. All things 
good, bad, ugly, even sin, is by God's appointment, the sin of God's people, by God's appointment for his own glory and for our good. So there are two parts to this coin, basically, when we talk about sin, human sin. First, you look at the sins of the elect, and secondly, you look at the sins of the wicked or the reprobates, which is what chapter 6 wants us to consider. So chapter 6 could be divine providence and the unsaved. Last week, we looked at divine providence and the elect, divine providence and the unsaved. But I really want, I want to title it something different. And the, the, the topic for this evening from chapter 6, from paragraph 6 of the confession is, can a loving God really harden sinners? Can a God who is love, we've already established that when we looked at the attributes of God, can a God who is love really harden sinners? Now, this is a popular question. If you go online, there are, I mean, there are videos upon videos you can see, articles upon articles have been written on this particular subject. And tonight we want to look at not just the confession, because the confession is based upon scripture. So we want to open up the scripture to see if this thing that they are saying is actually true. That they say God hardens people. Is it true? And how does God do this? I'll read from the old English version of this. It says, paragraph 6, As for those wicked and ungodly men whom God, as the righteous judge, for former sin, does blind and harden, from them he not only withholds his grace, whereby they might have been enlightened in their understanding and wrought upon their hearts, but sometimes also God withdraws the gifts which they had and exposes them to such objects as their corruption makes occasion of sin. And without, God gives them over to their own lusts, the temptations of the world, and the power of Satan, whereby it comes to pass that these wicked and ungodly people harden themselves under those means which God uses for the softening of others. So this is, this is the original wording of the framers of the confession. This is what they wrote in the 17th century. Now, I like a modern English version. I always say this. You can find it at founders.org. You cannot download it. It's, it's just there on the web. So this is how they interpreted or they modernized this particular paragraph. They said, God as a righteous judge sometimes blinds and hardens wicked and ungodly people because of their sins. He withholds his grace from them by which they could have been enlightened in their understanding and had their hearts renewed. Not only that, but sometimes God also takes away the gifts they already had and exposes them to situations that their corrupt natures turn into opportunities for sin. Moreover, he gives them over to their own lusts, the temptations of this world, and the power of Satan, so that they harden themselves in response to the same influences that God uses to soften others. I'll take this Bible study under three headings. The first heading is, we must consider the facts 
that God blinds and hardens sinners. The second heading is how God does this. And the third heading is the result of this action. God hardens sinners, number one. How God hardens sinners, number two. And the result of God's action upon sinners, number three. And the first thing the confession tells us in the very first line, I'll be referring mostly to the modern version, is that God as the righteous judge blinds and hardens wicked and ungodly people. The hardening of God, in other words, is upon wicked and ungodly people. And the reason why God does this hardening is because of their sins. Before we get to that reason, the fact that the confession takes time to tell us that this hardening of God is upon wicked and ungodly people is very important for us to note. You know the problem we have in the world today? Nobody is wicked and ungodly. Everybody is good. Everybody is a nice guy. And when this issue of goodness, human goodness, comes up, it's usually in two, when people ask these questions, in two ways, when people suffer, people ask, why, do God, why does God allow good people to suffer? Why is it that God will look upon me, innocent me, I have not killed anybody. I have not taken anybody's wife. I have not done this yet. I have been married for 10 years and no child. You know that idea? That I have, I kept myself all through my youth. I didn't sleep around. I was a virgin until I got into my husband's house or when I married my wife and no child. So because of those things I've done, I'm innocent. Why is God punishing me? Why am I suffering? That I walked through that all my results from secondary school to university, I didn't cheat. I wrote my work myself. I wrote my SSC myself. I wrote my jam myself. I wrote Postuami. I wrote all my, I graduated myself, second class upper. Good to one. And yet, five years down the line, I don't have a job. Or ten years down the line, I don't have a job. I'm struggling to feed. I beg to eat. And people ask, why do innocent people suffer? And I think I like the answer that R.C. Pro Jr. gave. He says, there is only one good person who suffered. Only one good person. Every other person who suffers, suffers as ungodly people. This is the natural state of man. Man is ungodly and wicked. So, there's no subset of mankind that is innocent. In fact, if there was any such thing as an innocent person, ah, there's no need for the gospel now. If you find one innocent person upon this earth, that person does not need the gospel. Which is also why when people ask this question, they say, what of the African man who has never heard the gospel? What of my grandfather who never heard the gospel? How will God send him to hell? After, his, after all, he's innocent. Well, if your grandfather was really innocent, God will not send him. Don't worry, you see him in heaven. If that qualifier you're putting upon your grandfather, that he's a good and innocent man, is actually true, you won't see him in hellfire. Then the Bible is a lie. Because Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So this subset, basically, is the entire mankind out of which God saved us. Out of which God saved us. Every human being is a sinner. 
So when God does this thing, let us also take notes that God is not hardening innocent people. Sometimes people say, the Bible says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Okay, so before the hardening, Pharaoh was one nice guy. It was not Pharaoh who said they should kill baby boys. Who said, go and grab all the boys you see. And it was not Pharaoh. It wasn't Pharaoh who met the, uh, the midwives and told them that when the Hebrew wives are delivering, if it's a boy, kill them. It wasn't Pharaoh. So when Pharaoh's heart is hardened, we think, oh, Pharaoh is the innocent guy. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. God only hardens the heart of wicked and ungodly people. God hardens the heart of sinners only. Why does God do this? The confession tells us that it is because of their sins. So God hardens the heart of sinners as a response to the sins of sinners. In other words, if there was such a person who had no sin, God would not have hardened his heart. Anybody whose heart has ever been hardened or is being hardened or will be hardened, it will always be because of sin. And let us look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 from verse 24. I'll read from my end. It says, Therefore, God gave them up to dishonorable... I'm reading 26, sorry. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. So before God was giving them up, what happened? They had exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So these were not innocent people. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For what reason? They exchanged the truth about God. For this reason. So there's a reason why God gave them up. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Verse 28. And since they themselves did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So you see how this thing works. You have sinners who are sinning and God hardens them because of their sins. Don't turn it upside down and say, we have innocent people. And then they sin because God hardens them. That's not how the Bible puts it. These people are already sinning, then God hardens them. Okay. Romans 11 verse 7. Romans 11 verse 7. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. So there is such a thing as hardening. It is biblical. That's the first thing, the fact we must establish. That God hardens sinners because of their sins. And when you relate, when you look at it this way, you know that there is no innocent person who can come up and say, God, you hardened me. You know, sometimes we imagine that on the last day, some people will tell God, hello, sorry, sir. You did not soften my heart. The Bible says, you have mercy on those who you have mercy upon. You did me wrong. Mm -mm. It doesn't work that way. Everybody who will go to hell will go to hell because they deserve hell. And that is everybody, really. Except those that God will save out by his own sovereign will. 
The second thing we must consider that the confession wants us to learn is how this hardening occurs. Because it's one thing to say God hardens sinners. It's another thing to understand how this hardening occurs. Some of us think this is how it happened. That a man is just sitting down. Then God will come and raise him up and plant sin in his heart. No. We already looked at that when we looked, in, when we looked at uh, divine sovereignty and human sin in paragraph 4. God does not work like God does not just see somebody and come and put sin in the heart of the person, thereby hardening the person. So the confession gives us at least four ways that God hardens sinners. Now, when I say four ways, it's really one thing. But I want us to look at it in four ways. So they are not mutually exclusive. So number one can look like number two, can look like number three, can look like number four. But there are four ways I want us to consider from the text of the confession how God hardens sinners. Number one, God withholds his grace from them. The first way God hardens sinners is by withholding his grace from them. Now, what is grace? Unmerited favor. Undeserved favor. Grace is somebody getting something that he or she does not deserve. Now, theologically, we like to speak of two kinds of grace. The first is common grace, and the second is what? Special grace, or saving grace. Now, what is common grace? Common grace is that blessing of God that is given to man which is non-redemptive. So when we talk about common grace, we are talking about the grace that doesn't save. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible tells us about uh, we being saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And not, no, that's not common grace. That's the second type of grace. The first type of grace, which is common grace, is the universal goodness of God. Jesus talks about this in Matthew, that God causes his rain to shine upon the just and the unjust. When we talk about common grace, we're talking about that act, that act of God whereby God restrains evil in the world and causes good to happen in the world. The reason why sinners can still do good things today is because of common grace. And the reason why, in fact, that this world is not in chaos today is because of common grace. When God looks at a sinner and doesn't judge the person at that very moment, we're talking about common grace. That is that Nigeria is still surviving today is as a result of God's common grace. Because if we are to get the just reward for everything we are doing every day as a country, we'll be finished. That's God's common grace. And look at Romans chapter 2. If you're there, you can read, to, uh, read for us. Romans chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. Romans chapter 2, 3 to 4. So this type of grace, basically, is meant to lead man to repentance. But we know it is not sufficient. It's just like general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is meant eh, to convict man and show man that God exists. True or false? True or false? We've been attending Sunday school. But can general revelation save a man? No. So common grace is God's goodness, basically. Poured upon everybody. Good, the bad, 
the ugly, the wicked, the ungodly. But that's not the grace that we are talking about in this particular paragraph. The grace that is being talked about that God withholds is his special grace or saving grace. Now, common grace, if a man enjoys common grace, a man can enjoy common grace and never have any change in his nature. Are we together? Common grace is just you are enjoying the gifts of God, but nothing changes in you. Special grace, however, causes a change in the nature of a person and in his disposition. Look at what the confession says. The confession says that um, God withholds his grace from them, the special grace from them, by which they could have been enlightened in their understanding and had their hearts renewed. So this common grace, this special grace that God withholds from sinners, from wicked and ungodly people, is the grace that could have opened their minds to understand the gospel and even cause a change in the hearts of sinners. Are we together? This is the grace that God withholds from sinners. Now somebody can say, if God withholds this grace from sinners, is God not being unjust? No. This, remember, we're talking about how God had in sinners now, according to the Bible. Not according to how it works in our heads, but according to the Bible. How does God have in sinners? God had in sinners by not giving them grace. God has grace and he withholds it. Why does he withhold it? Do I know? He withholds it because he knows why he withholds it. In fact, Paul was thinking about this in Romans chapter 9. Please turn to Romans chapter 9. About this mercy of God that God withholds. He says, verse 14, he said, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Oh, why is God withholding grace from Mr. A and giving grace to Mr. B? By no means, verse 15, for God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. So now we are not getting this understanding, that God, how God now hardens whomever he wills is toward restrain, that's withhold. He doesn't give it out. Because grace is undeserved. Both the person who receives the grace and the person who doesn't receive the grace, has, they have nothing to say against God. God just gives his grace. So whenever God wants to harden a sinner, he does this sometimes. He withholds his saving grace. The person can listen to preaching from morning till night. The person can be in various kinds of settings. But once that saving grace is withheld, the heart cannot be changed and the mind cannot grasp the truths of the gospel. Are we together? What's the first way God hardens sinners? By withholding his grace. So his withholding of grace is hardening. Number two, the confession tells us that God also takes his gifts. He takes away the gifts they already had. When God wants to harden a sinner, he takes away the gifts they already had. Can somebody read Matthew chapter 13, verse 12? Matthew chapter 13, verse 12. 
Or you can read from verse 10 to 12. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Will be taken away. So there are two categories of people here. Let's not lose sight of this. Jesus had finished giving a parable. And the disciples came up to him and said, why do you speak to them, to the crowd in parables? And Jesus said, to you has been given secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. The one who has more will be given, but the one who does not have will be taken away. But the way to balance this is to look at Luke's account. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 18, because the question is, how can God take away something from somebody who does not have? It's as if you have zero naira and I'm coming to take away five. How can I take money from you if you are broke? Are we together? So Luke chapter 8 verse 18 balances this for us. It says, take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Now, in the context, the immediate context, Jesus is talking about the Jewish nation. And in the mind of the Jews, despite the fact that they had nothing, they thought they had something. So when you see the Pharisees walking on the streets of Judea, in their minds, they think, we have something. You know, Paul was talking about this in Romans chapter 2. And he says, say, we have the circumcision, we have the law. It pleased God to reveal his oracles to us. And that was a source of boasting for the Jews. That we have all of these things. We have all of these outward privileges. In fact, when Jesus met the woman at the well, there was, there was the issue of mountain between the Jews and the Samaritans. That this is the mountain that we worship. This is the mountain we worship. So there was a lot of outward appearances that surrounded Judaism or the Jewish religion at this point in time. And Jesus was telling his disciples that these people who do not have anything, they think they have. That thing that they think they have, God will take it away. Those outward privileges that God has given to them, but they are not changed. They are just enjoying the outward thing. Let me bring it to our own context. There are many people who are enjoying the means of grace without being changed. When God wants to harden them, you take away his means of grace. When God wants to harden sinners, he takes away his word. When God wants to harden sinners, he takes away proper gospel preaching. So that they have men on the pulpit who are shouting and sweating and pouring spit on microphone, but nobody is getting saved. There is no gospel, no content, empty and void. When God wants to harden people, he takes away his true prophets. And they will be like Ahab, who had 400 people prophesying lies to him. There will be no Micaiah. And even if there is a Micaiah, he will be one in 400. When God wants to harden people, he takes away his gifts. When God wants to harden people, you see that, that you know, there is something about the gospel. Forgotten who wrote this book now, The Power of the Pulpit. Uh, Gardiner, I can remember his son name, Gardiner. He was a 19th century 
preacher in the U.S., 18th, 19th century preacher in the U.S., ministered around the first or second great awakening. And in that book, he was talking about the power of preaching, that even if people are not saved, one of the things that happens when there's proper preaching is that sin will come down. You know, you've heard this thing before, that when Calvin was in Geneva, nobody was drinking beer again. Do you think everybody was saved in Geneva? We are looking as if, do you think everybody was saved in Geneva? That in times of revival, if you read the works of Jonathan Edwards, that many of the pubs closed down. People are not going to the cinema. That is God restraining evil. He's giving them preaching. Preaching that even if people are not saved, their conscience are constantly wounded or wound. Some of you grew up in churches where, I don't want, I don't know if this is the right thing. Even though you were not saved, but because the preaching was always on scene every Sunday, you wake up saying, ah, that's thing I want to do this week, I'm not going to do it. When God wants to harden people, he removes those things from them. And so they have musicians and singers and comedians who are jumping up and down, making a fool of themselves. And no gospel preaching, no gifts. You know, the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 20 comes to mind. When Abraham went with his wife to a man who the Bible tells us is Abimelech. He was the king of Jera. This guy was a pagan king. This guy was a pagan king. This guy did not know God. He was not a worshiper of God. And Abraham told Sarah, this was the second time in their lives, that you tell this man that you are my sister because you are fine, you are beautiful, and all of those things. And then the man blessed Abraham, thinking that this thing is true. And then when he wanted to sleep with Sarah, this is an ungodly man. God himself came to warn Abimelech. That warning that God gives to even ungodly people if God wanted to punish that man, to really deal with him, what would he have done? You just do your own thing, and after you bear the consequences of your actions. But God, sometimes, this is him just being merciful to sinners, stops them from sinning. When the time comes when he wants to harden them, he removes those gifts from them, those things that have kept them from sinning. Thirdly, the confession tells us that how does God harden sinners? By exposing them to situations that their corrupt natures turn into opportunities for sin. Now, it's important for us to understand this. There are certain situations, eh? If you put two people, they will respond differently. Are we together? I just want us to understand before some, some people might say, okay, by God putting somebody in a situation, God is actually making him sin. No. Ten of us can be in a particular scenario and all ten of us will respond differently. Look at first, Second Kings chapter 8. God, this is a story of <clears throat> Elisha and the kingdom of Syria. Second Kings chapter 8, I read from my end. I want to read certain parts of Second Kings chapter 8. Let's start from verse 7. Now Elisha came to Damascus. Damascus is the capital city of Syria. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick. And when it was told him, the man of God has come here, the king said to Hazael, now this Hazael already is a trusted <clears throat> personnel of the king of Syria. He's like his right-hand man. And, and he told this guy, take a present with you and go meet the man of God and inquire of God through him, saying, shall I recover from this sickness? Verse 12. Or oh, verse 11. 
And after Elijah had told him, Elisha had told him all these things that ah, the, the guy just tell the king he will recover, but the king will eventually die. Elijah fixed his gaze and stared at Hazel until he was embarrassed. And the man of God wept. And Hazel said, This is very important. Why does my Lord weep? He answered, Elisha said, Because I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. You will set fire on their fortresses and you will kill their young men with a sword and dash in pieces their little ones and rip open their pregnant women. And look at what this man said in verse 13. He said, what is your servant who is but a dog that he should do this great thing? Elisha told him, the Lord has shown me that you are to be king over Syria. Verse 15. He went to his master. The next day, Hazel took the bedcloth and dipped it in water and spread it over Ben-Hadad's face till he died. And Hazel became king in his place. Is this not interesting? The guy said, no, who am I? I'm but a dog. I can do nothing. I can do nothing. When God wants to harden people, sometimes he gives them the prosperity they are seeking. He gives them the power. Oh, we want to change this country, all the politicians are thieves. Okay, you are, you are somebody that will put you in a position and after three months, we are looking for you. Where's the money? Why is the record not balancing up? Sometimes God will allow people what he does is that he puts them in certain situations where their own hearts will turn them to opportunities for sinning. Sometimes, it could even be the other way. That God will take away things from a man. This is God hardening a man. So that the, guy, the guy will start sinning. He will start stealing. And after stealing, there's no end to his crime. In his life of crime. God will put you in a situation if God wants to harden you. So don't think... God is the one that comes and plants sin in the hearts of people. The sin is already there. If God really wants to harden you, he'll put you in a situation where your own corruption will walk, 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 and you, 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 you run crazy. Number four, when God wants to harden a man or a woman, the confession tells us that God gives them over to their own lusts, the temptations of the world, and the power of Satan. God gives them over to their own lusts the temptations of the world, and the power of Satan. You know, sometimes we think that the problem is, sometimes, even as believers, I don't want to, let me not talk about unbelievers, although the, the context definitely is about the ungodly. One of the things that we don't learn from is when God allows us to prosper in our sins. One of the things we don't learn from as, as Christians even, is that when God causes your sin to happen, you should be scared. Ravelin, the Puritan author, said or wrote that not to be punished for sin may be the worst punishment that God will give you. Not to be punished for sin may be the worst punishment that God will give a man. A few weeks ago, I was watching a comedy kit by this... Uh, this young woman, Tauma. And you know how, I don't know how many of you know Tao, even if you don't know Tao. Her mother sent her to get money, and it was about 40,000 naira. And then she threw the money away on the road. And then she came back home and told him, she was scared, Mom, I lost 40,000 naira. And the mother did not beat her. The mother said, No, you lost money, no problem, no problem. 
And then the next day, the mom did not beat her. So the mom came to the room to give her food. I think it was what the breakfast on in bed. Came to give her food. And then one day, she was, she was, the mom was walking, said, let me help you. His mom said, no, don't help me. I said, mommy, this one has to stop. Kill me. If you want to kill me now, I can't, I can't live with this. The folly for us sometimes is to think, I want to sin and it succeeds small. Then, ah, I'm wise. The first time I stole money from the offering basket or from the office purse, nobody noticed. Kai, I'm smart too. I'm really smart. The first time I lied, like people check, 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 check. Am I lying? Checked out perfectly. I'm good. You know the folly of Jonah? When God first told Jonah to go to Nineveh, when Jonah went first to Joppa, the fact that that thing succeeded, that he could run away to a, to a seaport, because God did not speak to him at the seaport. He was in a different place. And he started his journey to the seaport, and he succeeded. I believe that thing happened in Jonah's head, that he, if I can succeed this far, why don't I take a ship and go to Tarshish? And he entered the ship, thinking that he'll succeed. Now, the thing about God in his mercy is that he will never allow his children sin successfully. God will never allow, that's, I'm quoting Spurgeon now. God will not allow his children sin successfully. What did God do to Jonah? He stopped him on the way to Tarshish. See, if we are sinning and sinning and sinning, eh, they are not catching us. You know, there's a kind of thing you've seen. In some, people, so in some people think this is a bad thing. The first day you do it is the first day you are caught. That's God's mercy to you. That the first day I did it, that's the day they caught me. And I was ashamed and I repented of my sin. But I did it the first time. I did it the second time. I did it the third time. Friend, you have much to fear. It is possible that God is just leaving you to your own lusts. Leaving you to the world. Leaving you to the devil. When God wants to harden a man, he does not restrain that person again. Look at Hosea chapter 4 verse 7. Hosea chapter 4. This is one short verse of scripture that is very scary as well. Hosea chapter 4 verse 7. Verse 17 rather. He says, Ephraim is joined to idols. What should we do? Leave him alone. Don't preach again. Because that's what's happening. All through chapter 4, verse 16 says, like a stop, like a heifer, he's stubborn. He said, leave him alone. When God comes upon a man's matter or a woman's matter and say, ah, this person like this thing well, well, though, leave him alone. That's God's hardening. So these are the four ways God hardens sinners. Before we start thinking, God comes to a person and says, ah, you are innocent. Let me plant sin in your heart. Number one, God sometimes withholds his grace. He's saving grace. Number two, he removes his gifts from them. The preaching of the word, the, the, the solid word, preachers, solid gospel preachers, and he gives them Kenneth Hagin and Copeland and all the other people who can preach for, for days, bring books, and there's no gospel. And that's a terrible state to be in. You know? Like I've been in a church for 30 years and you've been a deacon and you've never heard the gospel. I think that's what's even happening to us in our country. Thirdly, God would expose them to certain situations that their own sinfulness will use and sin. And fourthly, God sometimes just gives them over, just lets them go. Show you one time, go and sin. They will not catch you. Enjoy yourself. 
And the result of this, the confession tells us, is that sinners harden themselves. When God withholds his grace, when God takes away his gifts, when God puts them in certain scenarios, when God gives them over, sinners will harden themselves. You know what that means? When you sin the first time, something has already happened to your heart. When God has removed all those sins, something has happened. The second time, you become harder and harder and harder and harder and harder in your sin. So the first time, when you ask for repentance, you actually cried. I'm sorry, Lord. The second time, <laughs> that's a day, a video clip of somebody will show up on YouTube that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And that is only is the Gnostics that confess their sins in 1 John chapter 1 and 1 John chapter 2. And after the third time, one message of Abel Damino will play. I mean, just stupid things will come to your head. And before you know, you are knee-deep in sin. Look at Pharaoh's case. Turn to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7 verse 3. It says, I'm in Genesis. Exodus chapter 7, verse 3. It says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. This is God now speaking. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Look at Exodus chapter 8, verse 15. He said, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, what did Pharaoh do? Pharaoh hardened his heart. I would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Verse 32 of Exodus chapter, chapter 8. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. And after God hardens the hearts, after sinners have hardened themselves, the result we see again is that the same influences that God uses to soften the hearts of other people will be a hardener to them. Are we together? There are certain things God just puts in place that when certain people experience those things, they become more humble. It will not work. Joseph, for example. When Joseph enjoyed prosperity, the only thing we heard about Joseph was God was with him. All he laid his hands upon prospered. Joseph came up to the throne and that did not affect Joseph. But Hazel, a prophecy that you become king, made him to do what? To kill his ogre. The same riches that God gives to certain people and blesses them with cars and they are still coming to church and they are this thing. Certain people, when God exposes them to riches, that's the last day you see them in church. The same poverty that breaks people down in humility before God, and who say, God, even if it's water, I can be getting to drink every day. My trust is in you. In the same poverty, I'll tell somebody, which kind of God is this that cannot provide my needs? You go and steal. The same illness that will hit somebody like John Piper, the same cancer that hit him, made him write a book, Don't Waste Your Cancer, that hit people like Tim Keller and many people. The same cancer will hit another person. The same thing, the same means that was used to humble people. And I listened to an interview of Keller, I've forgotten the podcast, and he's better now, but I think last year during the pandemic, he was really in the hospital. And he said it was during that period of his cancer that he was so humbled that he began to see sins even in his own life that he had not seen before. His marriage was better, and with Kathy, his wife, and, and things, that was what God used. But for the sinner, the same thing will make him say, God does not exist. If God exists, why am I having cancer? 
Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. The same thing. That's to show that the person's heart has been had in Gong Gong. Verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 2, Paul says, For we are the aroma of God, of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So what are we? Number one, aroma. Abi? Aroma, we are aroma. That is who we are. But look at what Paul goes on to say. To one group of people, we are a fragrance from death to death, and to another group of people, we are a fragrance from life to life. The same preaching that humbles people and breaks people, some other people hardens them. The same thing. The same word of God that is used by his spirit to bring people to salvation, another group of people, no salvation. And we're learning this on Sunday. That the same word that produces brokenness in some produces hardening in others. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, Peter was talking about the stone that the builders rejected. For some people, that stone is what? A stumbling block. But we that have put our faith in that stone in Christ is our salvation. That is the height of hardening to show you that God has really hardened the person. He hardens himself to such an extent that all the things God uses to soften other people does not soften his heart. See, if you, if you have noticed that you as a person, eh, can no longer be broken before God's word. Applying what we heard on Sunday morning. And that all the blessings of God that breaks other people does not break your own heart. Sometimes you are in a place and people are singing and you are like, what are they, why are they shouting on top of their voices? What is so special about in Christ alone? What is so special about this hymn? This is, and you are saying, hey, it's boring. It's boring. Where is the beat? Let us do better, do better. Your heart might have been hardened. I'm serious. And I think this is the case with most of the Christians in Nigeria. That a person cannot even listen to preaching for 30 minutes. Your heart has been hardened. God is withholding his grace from you. He's taking away his gift from you. And you are hardening yourself. So that preaching of the Bible is what you hate. And he said, why don't you want to go to that church? He said, they need to play drum. Oh, so that is what you saw in the Bible, that the people of God shall be a people of drumming and dancing. Why don't you go to that place? He said, they know they shout. There might be a hardening on your heart. For those of us physically and those online, you are sinning and sinning and sinning. No, break, no stop. Nothing will stop you. Nobody will catch you. And you become so smart that you can evade every single thing. They will never catch you. You have reason to fear that God may be leaving me to my own sin. That God may be withholding his grace from me. My heart is not so, getting softer. My heart is getting harder and harder. I can't remember the last time I wept in prayer, whether for my own sins or for the sins of other people. Could it be that your heart is being hardened? You are hardening your own heart. But for such a person, there is hope. You can cry out to God for the softening of your heart. You know that there was a time when your conscience used to be, used to be soft. And whether you are a Christ, you are a Christian or not, specifically I'm talking to you who is not a Christian, you know that after certain things, you are moved to stop certain things or do certain, but now it's not the case anymore. You are just going freely. 
You have sinned once, sinned twice, sinned three times. Ah, God may be allowing you to experience the hardness of heart. But you can cry out to God tonight and ask him for soft, softening of your hearts. That he will break your heart again. This is the promise of the new covenant, you see. That those who have hearts of stone, God will change to hearts of flesh. Any questions? Online. It's as if as this confession is going further, nobody's asked questions. Okay. God is good. God is good. But then, for those of us who are professors, this is where we must take a warning. You know, when, when God presents this sin to us sometimes, we think, oh, it's for the person who is a sinner. For you who is saying I'm a Christian, I'm in church, and you can see all these things in your life, you can see that sin is going on and on and on and on. You can see that prayer, you, you just pray like an exercise. You can see that the word of God does not even it. When you take up the Bible, you sleep. That's a cause for alarm. When you want to listen to a sermon, you start sleeping. In fact, for some people, it's even in church. And we don't, do, I mean, I, I've been in church for a while. During the praise and worship, bim, 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 bim. somebody will dance, all, all manner of nonsense dance, come to the front, roll and roll and roll. The moment they say, let us open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. <laughs> Sleeping. You have cause to fear. You have cause to fear. And run to Christ and ask him for mercy. Ask him to save you. Ask him to soften your hard heart, if that's the case. And if you are truly a Christian, we should thank God that our hearts are not hard. You see, one of the things the Christian understands is that man, you see, sometimes we don't think like unbelievers. Let me just start from this point. Christians don't think like unbelievers. How does an unbeliever think? Oh, that man has three mansions. He's better off than me. Oh, that you've learned tonight then that God actually gives people mansions as punishment. That man has a fine car. But you've learned God gives people a fine car as punishment. God gives people good jobs as punishment. God allows people to go abroad as punishment. We are not merely thinking in terms of physical things and sexual things, the desires of our flesh. We want to earn 500k every month. Some people, God allows them to earn 500k every month as, as hardening. That's when the person stops coming to church. That's when he starts reading his Bible. That's when confidence just comes in. You know. Person will go wake up every night by 12 a.m. and pray. Oh God, provide for me. Now the person does not even know how to pray. And you see, six months down the line, the so-called person who got a promotion and is working in a big company in Abuja does not know how to pray. Doesn't come to church again. And you, you with your brokenness, you are still coming. You come on Tuesday, come. On. I say, God, make me like that person. That person might be suffering. The fact that your heart has been softened by God, and that you have believed in Jesus Christ, and that you continue to believe in him every day, should make you rejoice. And our eyes are not merely fixed on the externals, on the physical properties, on what we have, what we don't have. Whether we have one pair of shoes, whether we have one set of trousers, whether we have 100 naira airtime we managed for one month, that our hearts are soft. Ah, God be praised. God be praised. See, the Christian who is the brokenest person on earth has more than the hardened sinner who has all the physical properties. 
And this is so a cause of rejoicing. If you came here, or you are online or whatever, as well as today, you were just saying, hey, I don't have money to buy this. I want to do this. For some of us, I want to marry. I want to do this. I need to get a better house. I need to get a better job. I need to get this. I need to get, and then the whole day you were just thinking, how can I get this? How can I get that? The fact that your heart has been softened, take that home tonight and praise God. That your heart is not hard. And that God has given you a measure of grace. There's grace in your soul. God is working in your life. It's a source of thanksgiving. And if you notice, perhaps, that sin is already going on and on and on in your life. And you see, the thing about God not allowing his children sin, so is, is, this is linked to last week. We said for a season sometimes, God allows us. I'm linking this to what we learned last week, Tuesday. Then repent of your sins. Repent of it. Because if you continue in that path, it will lead you to hell. Don't say I'm a Christian. If a man continues in sin, in a chain of sin unbroken, the, the testimony of the Bible is that person is going to hell. It's like a person be shouting at the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's not what it, I don't know where that thing came from. It's Joseph Prince. If you continue on that path of sin, you know there's a measure of grace in your soul already. You know you've tasted of God and you know he's good. You know you cannot abandon Christ. Something holds you on to him. Don't continue in sin. Repent and turn back to God. I'm just so thankful tonight that we have soft hearts. And that is the greatest blessing this side of eternity. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for the lesson we have learned tonight. As we go home, oh God, we ask you to confirm these truths in our hearts. That if we have never come to Christ before, and if we have been living in uncontrolled, unbridled, and unrestrained sin, Oh, that you be merciful to those amongst us who are in that category. And that you would, by your Holy Spirit, work faith in their hearts. And that you humble them, break them down, and turn their hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. And for those of us who have experienced your grace in our hearts and in our lives, all we ask that you would help us keep this front and center. Because of the economic situation and because of the things happening in our country, we are so quick to be discouraged. But Lord, let this truth hold us up. Let this, let this truth raise us up above our challenges and even our struggles today. That our hearts have been softened and that you really have saved us from our sins. Lord, dismiss us tonight with your richest blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good evening and good night.